Thanks, Charlie. Uh, you can grab you a seat. Welcome uh, to Legacy. Um, as Mark pointed out, um, I know some of you, some of you I don't, some of you I just met this morning, and so um, I'm thankful to be here today. Um, I am the, one of the pastors at Citizens Church that you guys uh, planted a little over just about six years ago, and so we were, uh, we were in this room on this stage. We've got a picture of the day that that happened when you guys prayed 13 of us um, out here. We, uh, we stood up on this stage. You commissioned us um, as a church plant, and we did, we did just that. We planted a church in Hardin Valley. I've uh, been doing so. We're, we've, we've moved about five or six times in the past six years, and so you, are, uh, you should be excited that you've got to chill in West High School's auditorium for a while. We've been all over the place. Um, it's been gloriously hard. Oh, there it is right there. There we are. Ragtag crew right there, 13 of us. Um, it started out. Um, five addresses in six years. We started in a living room, uh, moved to a portable building, then moved to D1 Athletic Training Facility, then moved over to Providence Church. Then we went back to D1. Then we went to a, a church in Solway for a little season, and now we're back at D1. And uh, this is us today. I, I, I threw a picture, gave a picture to show kind of what we look like today. So there we are um, today on the turf and camping chairs um, with very little heat. So just FYI, I'm excited to be standing here without a jacket on, and none of y'all have scarves on. I see jackets like laid over. Typically, they're space heaters, jackets, and camping chairs. So it's good to see you guys this morning and be here. Um, I want to thank you guys first and foremost for your faithfulness um, as a church and a church plant. Um, how much of an encouragement it is to Luke and Paula to have you guys each and every week serving and, and, and being a part um, of what these guys dreamed about and, and happened for them so long ago. And so um, I want to thank you for your willingness uh, to show up and, and, and support even, even us. Um, we know when you sent us out, it cost you a ton, and we do not take that for granted. Um, we know that you guys uh, gave up uh, you know, friendships and things like that and just sent people out, and it was, it was so, so tough. So I want to thank the pastors of Legacy. Um, you guys are a gift. Very, very special thank you to this guy right here. Um, he's, a, he's a brilliant pastor and a good, dear friend to me, and so I'm thankful for him, uh, thankful for Paula. And so, man, we wanted to plant churches, and we did that. So I'm thankful for you guys. So that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a, just a commitment to you guys. I'm so excited. I'm going to pray for us. Before we get started, just bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the, the, the ability to stand here, God, and freely proclaim your word. And so, Father, thank you for this space that you've given these people to, to gather in, to exalt your name. Thank you for the season that we're in, this Advent season. Um, just thank you. Thank you so much for all that you've given us and blessed us with, Father, individually, corporately, as a church, as a church plant. Father, I want to pray specifically for my people this week who are, who are eating in different homes and doing service projects. And so um, I, I miss gathering with them, but I'm so grateful and thankful that I'm here, uh, Father, with, with Legacy this morning. So thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, Luke called me up and said, hey, man, would you uh, want to come over on the 4th and, and preach? And I, without hesitation, said, yes, how much are you paying so, um, just kidding. I, yeah, yeah, just kidding. Um, I, I did, without hesitation, I was super excited to come uh, see you guys. And so, today, uh, he explained to me, today we're supposed to be covering the hymn, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And so, uh, just a little background on that. Historically, 
This song has, was written by Charles Wesley in 1744. So I think that's pretty awesome that how, how essentially how old uh, this hymn is. And so um, he wrote this based on his application of Haggai 2.7. And so he was reading this. He was, he was moved by the scripture and the passage. And so what he did was he actually essentially wrote out a prayer. That was his, his prayer he wrote out, which became the hymn. It says, born your people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now your gracious, gracious kingdom bring by your own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, by all your sufficient merit, raise us to your glorious throne. That was his prayer. That was his original prayer that which became the hymn. And so the most logical place for me to start when it comes to uh, the return of the, the thinking of the return of Jesus is the book of Revelation. So we're going to go deep this morning in the book of Revelation. Um, in Revelation, if you don't know, John sees this powerful vision while he's been exiled to the island of Patmos. And so he's, uh, he's been exiled for his faith in Jesus, so he is, he is there in this cave. And so at this point in history, this period of history, persecution was beginning to grow for the Christian church. For those, for those Christians that believed and were walking by faith, um, there was persecution that was growing. And the biggest thing is, is their future was uncertain, right? There was no certainty as to what would happen or what was to come, right? And so does this sound familiar? Just the uncertainty and, 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 and somewhat persecution entering in that we're hearing. And so for us, like this, or for them, the vision, this vision would have been of great concern, Right? And this vision would have been, John probably is a little concerned about the state of the world and, and what is to come, um, but it also should bring great comfort, right? Knowing that we serve a king that's returning, right? Amen, yes. At my place, if y'all don't engage, I'll make you get up and do burpees because we're in a gym. So we'll figure out jumping jacks or something. So y'all got y'all to engage with me here. So, so when these people, or when this was ri written, right, like for today, us reading this, it should bring both comfort and concern, right? I mean, for me, when I read it, that's where I go. Is I, it brings great concern, but it also brings me great comfort. And the reason for that is, is that God has a plan for the future. Amen? Right? God has a plan for the future. And so in this text, we'll see that's the scroll. We're going to read about the scroll. The scroll is God's plan for the future. And Jesus, right? Jesus, everyone say Jesus. Jesus, make sure you listen. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection, can and will carry out that plan. Amen. You can say that too, by the way. I like hallelujahs and amen. So, hallelujah, amen. He will carry it out. He has, he has there, there is nothing about this that doesn't tell us he will bring this to completion. And so, this isn't your typical nativity narrative. Okay, just FYI, right off the bat, this is not your typical nativity narrative. It follows the implications of Jesus' birth, but also God's redemptive plan for the universe. And so during this, during this time of the year, right, we all know this time of the year, this, this season, people are often experiencing difficulty, right? Financial hardships, maybe the memory of a lost loved one. Right, we've all, we've all had some of that tension, uh, loneliness, right, just being alone, isolated. Like these are all things that kind of that come with the season that we're in this, uh, this Christmas or Advent season. So it's important, I think, 
You can agree or disagree, but it's important that this, this time to be reminded that Jesus holds our destiny in his nail-scarred hands. Amen? It's important to know that, to recognize that. So my hope for us today, collectively as a group of people, is that we are challenged and convicted in our view of seeing Jesus rightly in our destiny. Like where he takes place in our lives. Like my hope and conviction for us today is that we see that. So what I'm going to do is, this is what we do at my house, is we're going to stand and read Revelation 5. We stand when we read the word of God. So if you don't mind, stand with me. Turn to Revelation 5. I'll give you a second to flip there or turn to it in your passages. We're going to read the, the first 14 verses of this passage. It will be on the screen for you. So if you want to follow along, again, that's Revelation chapter 5. Verses 1 through 14, I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. That passage says, John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed for people, people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Father, I pray and I beg and I ask, God, I plead today that we would see you rightly, God, in our hearts today, that when we leave here, we have a clearer picture and vision of you in our lives. Father, to see the world rightly, to see culture appropriately, Father, but more than that, God, to, to know in our hearts, Father, that you are the lamb that was slain, that you are king. And so, Father, we, we acknowledge that. We want to sing praises to your name, Father, today. We want to hear from you today. And so, Father, by, by the power of your Holy Spirit in your son's name, I ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. 
wow, I don't normally hear everybody sit down like that. That was really loud. It's awesome. Love it. So we're going to jump right in. Um, I, I, kinda, I, I like to kind of go verse by verse, and so we'll, I'll go back and read a couple verses so you can follow along with that. I'm going to read them to you. So we're going to look at the first four verses real quick. I'm just going to reread that. Um, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And John says he began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And so these verses, these four verses, they dramatically depict the universe's desperate need for Jesus, right? He's moved, like he's, he's physically and emotionally moved to tears as he sees these, this, this scroll and he sees that there's no one anywhere able to open this. I mean, like the, the universe, like no member of any heavenly entourage is worthy to open it. Nobody. And he sees this and he knows and he, and he becomes emotionally impaired, Anyone on the earth, under the earth, I mean, any creature cannot open this. There's, there's nothing. There's no superheroes with superpowers, right? There's none of, there's no Hollywood gimmick to open this thing. And he's, he's moved to tears. He's, he's weeping. And so I think that weeping is, 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 shows us the culmination of God's redemptive plan. Like this is how important this scroll is. It literally is showing God, the importance of God's redemptive plan. And everything under the earth, in the earth, on the earth is all dependent upon the opening of this scroll. That's how important it is. Like that this, this scroll being opened and read, John knows he's moved that the only thing, the only way God's plans going forward is if this is read. And so this is how death, sin, and evil is defeated. And John knows that. John recognizes that. He realizes that, that this is what's um, going to do. And so he's, he's moved to this, this weeping because who can open it? Who can put an end to this? Right? Anybody with me? Like, we, we beg and plead for God. Do we not ask God, like, come quickly? Right? Who's done that? We, we hear of tragic events. We see something unfold in our lives, and we beg and plead and cry out. Right? Charlie just had us read, Abba, Father. We want him to return. John knows this, and he feels the exact same way. The funny thing to me about these first four verses is you don't see any human saying, oh, 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 I can I can, not even John says, let me try. I mean, I'm here looking around. I mean, I must be here for a reason. Let me try to open this. Like there's no sword in the stone moment, right? Do you remember sword in the stone, the Disney movie, correct? Like, like King Arthur, Arthur the, the squire, goes up and he rips the, the sword out of the stone. There's none of those moments happening. There's no Thor's hammer. There's no Tesseract. There's no really Hollywood scene happening here. Nobody. And the problem with this is when we read passages like this, and it seems kind of like creative, right? It seems like, man, when I read Revelation, I'm like, that would make an awesome movie. Anybody agree? Revelation would make a legit movie, right? Like, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. So we've been mesmerized by folklore, right? Like, we've been mesmerized by legend. We read these stories, and, and we think to ourselves, like, wow, what a cool 
story. And we miss the part, the part of this is God's redemptive plan for humanity. We overlook that. We read that and we think, oh, John, he's just an emotional guy. Like, he's just, he's just overcome with emotion. What's he emotional about? It's just a scroll, right? It's just a parchment. It's just a piece of paper. It's not that big of a deal. And so he moves on in verse 5 and 6. He says, after he's moved to, to tears... Verse 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so we see the depiction of the sacrificial death of Jesus. That's what we're looking at is this sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross and his triumphant resurrection of the dead or from the dead. And so an elder comes and comforts John. He says, he says whoa, 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 listen. The lion from the tribe of Judah has conquered all. He's conquered, he's conquered everything and he's worthy to open the scroll. He can, he can do it. Stop weeping. There's hope. Right? There's hope. He's there. He's here. And so, so Christ is David's descendant and his people's champion, and he's overcome his enemies. And so John is super surprised. I would be super surprised. He said, a lion from the tribe of Judah, now is there this crazy-looking lamb, right? I, I mean, he said lion. I'm expecting to turn around and see a lion. He sees this lamb, and not just any lamb. He's got seven horns, seven eyes. Can you get a visual here? Anybody ever seen a lamb like that before? No one, good, right? Like when people want to talk about angels, I always like to Google illustrations of biblical angels, right? We talk about the, oh, the wings and the harp, and then you show them an actual biblical picture of an angel. Things get crazy, right? And so let's just talk about the sevens. Like Revelation's a book of sevens. I won't go down that, that road, but the seven horns, the reason the seven horns are important, why are, I always try to tell my people, why are these things important? These little parts that we just look over. Horns represent absolute military power like that would have been something that 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 spoke to john and the people that would would see this or if anybody else saw this like this is absolute military power and there's seven of them right seven horns on this sheep's head and then seven eyes uh, uh, depicting great wisdom of god the seven seven spirits being sent out this should be perplexing you and I might not be doing a great job, but you should, be, you should be a little bit mesmerized by the fact that this is actually taking place. And if you're not, let me help you. God, our God, in his brilliance and sovereignty, is reclaiming creation by means of his triumphant return. That's what's happening. Our God is, is reclaiming creation by means of his triumphant return, and he does this how he chooses, right? Do we all agree with that? He gets to choose. We don't get to choose how Jesus returns. We all probably have an idea of how we'd like to see God return, right? Or, man, I wish you'd come back like this. But God gets to choose how he uh, arrives and how he is going to reclaim creation. Jesus, who has all power, all power, all might, allowed himself to be slain for sinners. We all agree with that, correct? Yes? Amen. Thank you. Yes. Amen. We all agree there. And his long, 
right? Expected return will look amazingly different than when his cry broke silent night, correct? He will not come back as a baby, right? And so we see it, we see this, his, his return looking something different. He will pierce the sky and all will bow and confess. Let me tell you that one more time. And all will bow and confess. Amen, right? That's an amen part, right? He's not hidden. He's not distant. He's coming. He's returning. Strong, fierce, already one conqueror, right? That's something a little bit different. Anybody play sports growing up, right? Do you ever remember meeting an opponent on a field or, or turf or a, or a gym floor, and you look across the floor, and there's something different. Like, they've already walked in the gym like they've won the game. Anybody ever experienced that? And you immediately are overcome with a little bit of, like, fear and hesitation. Like, what did I just get myself into? Right? Like, I remember playing in state tournaments and things like that, walking in and being like, they look like they've already won. What am I doing here? Right? Like, that's what we, that's, that's what Jesus is going to show up like. All will bow, all will confess. And here's the problem with the text like Revelation 5 or Revelation in general. We can't understand this without a complete biblical context. You can't. You can't just pick up Revelation and read it for the first time and go, oh, that makes total sense. I mean, it just, that, oh, I got this. We're good. Moving on. No, no, no. We have to read the entire Bible. I know Luke well enough to know that he probably can, can brings conviction and challenges you weekly to read the Word of God, right? I mean, that's important, correct? It's a very, very important spiritual discipline. So if we don't have a full biblical context, none of this makes any sense. What are we doing, right? We're all just sitting in hard plastic chairs for no reason, right? We all gather in living rooms weekly for no reason. We all share meals and serve. The Bible makes it all make sense. It, makes, it draws us into the story. And I think that's why folks get confused. I think that's why we read a text and we're confused is because we don't have a complete biblical view of the story of God. And so if you read the word and you, you read it over, uh, over a, a, a whole period of time, instead of just grabbing one verse or this verse, you run down to Hobby Lobby, get something that's cool and painted, hanging on the wall, right? We got bumper stickers, t-shirts, coffee mugs. You know what I'm saying? Simply said stickers. If you have those in your house, I'm not throwing rocks at them. I'm just saying, remember, there's a biblical context. We need to read the Bible in its entirety. And so Daniel 7, for example, the Son of Man is presented before the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days language is all over Revelation, right? And so this is him tying these, or this is the Bible tying itself together. And so you can't just read Revelation. You have to know the story of God. And so Jesus is now presented before the Father. He takes the scroll, he opens it, and the world's destiny, yours and mine, humanity's destiny, destiny has been seized, and Jesus is in full control of it. That's amazing. In just the first six verses, we haven't gone anywhere else. And you don't like this. Let me tell you why. You don't like and I don't like the fact that Jesus controls my destiny because I want to control my own destiny. Correct? I make the money. I choose who I marry. I pick the kids' names, paint colors of the house, where I live. Right? What I invest in. Where my kids go to school. 
where I may go to school. Right? We choose, we, we, we don't like the fact that we think that someone else can be in control of all that. Deep down, you believe and I believe that we can do it. Deep down, you believe if, if he just gave you a chance, honestly, you and I believe right now, if you just had a chance, you could open that scroll. You believe that deep down. You say to yourself, if I was there, I could do it. I know, and I would. Why is, it not, why is John not doing it? He's got an opportunity. Why isn't he seizing it? Who's an achiever in the room? Anybody an achiever? No achievers. Great. I know what you're preaching on next week. Achievement, right? We want to do things. We want to accomplish things. You're all professionals. You're all, you're all working, right? You're all, you're all, you're all making money. You're, you're, you're out there living life, and you think you can do it. What, standing next to someone, it's like, you ever try to open a really difficult bag of chips? You're all like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're squeezing, and you know what's going to happen. You bust them open and go everywhere, right? How many of you are like, let me see that. I can do it, right? And you're using your teeth and yanking on it. That, we all do this. We all step in. This is why we struggle with the idea that Jesus is in control of humanity. After all, it's just paper. Open it. Paper's actually lost on us at this point, right? When's the last time you wrote a letter? On paper with a pen, and drove it to the post office and mailed it. Think about that. When was the last time he did any of that? So we see this is just something, it's just, it's just paper. But here's the funny thing. Not one of you would say that out loud. I wouldn't. Well, I kind of am. But, but you see what I'm saying, right? None of us would actually say that out loud. But here's where we do say it. You say it with your theology. You say it with your theology, right? How you pray. Like, think about that. Just take a second. How you pray. What your theology says about, about what you believe in Jesus. How you pray. How you worship. Right? It's real easy to come in here week in, week out. And stand in here, I'm sure, and, and, and let this awesome band up here lead you in worship and in song. Right? It never once gives thought to the moment. I'm not saying you don't do that, but I'm, but I'm challenging you in the sense of consider that. Consider that moment as a, as a holy moment. How we worship, how we pray, decisions you make, decisions you and I make. Do we stop to consider, do we stop and consider that Jesus, who, who controls all, who, who has our destiny, what does he want for our lives? What does he consider important? The ways we parent. Think about this. The ways we spend and save money. Have we, have we considered any of that? Have we stopped to consider what Jesus has for us in that or wants for us in that? And so John gives us this really cool illustration. Check this out. Like the entire heavenly realm turns to worship Jesus when he takes a scroll. That's huge. He takes this scroll and the entire heavenly realm turns to him. He seizes it with no permission. He doesn't ask anyone's permission. He's not going to ask your permission. I, it, that, was a, that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Is wait, God, you're doing what? You didn't consult me, right? You didn't consult me. 
why am I, what is happening right now? How dare you? Right? Think about it. Let's be honest. Because you are who you are. And the trap we all fall into is building our own kingdoms. Right? In our own zip codes. At our own homes. At our jobs. and our workplaces. And, and, and Jesus comes in and basically says, no, 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 this is all mine. You think, well, wait a minute. I'm the one that sweated. I'm the one that bled. I'm the one that taught. I'm the one that gave. I'm the one that sets up and tears down. I'm the one that wrote that song. I'm playing the instrument. Never stopping to consider that Jesus owns it all. And so he takes the scroll. He takes it. The scroll didn't wander over to Jesus to say, hey, can you open me? Jesus takes it. There's no code given. He takes it. The heavens declare his glory. We can't do that, and we don't like it. We can't do that, and we don't like it at all. And now all eyes and worship are on Jesus. All eyes and worship are on Jesus. Not on me, right? Not on you, right? None of that. Not on the, not on, no eyes on the good old, you know, good old U.S. of A., right? None, none of that's taking place just on Jesus. And my, what I drew from this first six verses is this. Nothing proclaims the divinity of Jesus like all of heaven turning towards and worshiping him. Right? Nothing. What, else, what better is there to do? Like you can't. You can't outdo that. Everything turns to worship Jesus. You can't dismiss that. You can't deny that. And I struggle with that. Why? Because I like attention. Anybody attention seekers? I'm the only one. That's why I'm up here. <laughs> makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, fun fact, I played the Grinch in a play this weekend, or a, a parade, right? Downtown Knoxville Parade. Has anybody been, by the way? Super crazy. If you saw a white double-decker boat with a green person on it, that was me. <laughs> My man over here, he saw me. What's up? Yep, that's right. I was on the news. That's right. It's awesome. It was awesome. And I didn't really have a plan going into that. And then as soon as we turned on Gay Street, I saw all those people. I literally said, I am the Grinch. <laughs> it was over. It was a game my man knows, right? I was, I was killing it, right? Multiple instances. And in here's that my wife was like, of course you had a blast because everybody was looking at you. Everybody was chanting my name. There were people in the audience with sweaters on with my image, right? I was super pumped and I get to do it again tonight at Farragut that's right I'm super pumped about that it's awesome and that's why because I want all eyes on me I want everybody to look even if I'm a weirdo in a green paint and furry suit right it's still awesome right I mean it still makes me believe that I'm something magical that that something that I'm doing something glorious right and for that moment, I'm building this little green kingdom. And it's so weird. But at the same time, right, I'm, wrongly, I'm being built up. I'm achieving something. I'm believing something in that moment. Right? I mean, what was so weird is after it was done, I was all sweaty. It's like 30 degrees outside, but I was sweating because the Grinch apparently gets really hot. And I took all this, all this garb off and makeup all over my face, sweat in my eyes, and, and we were done. And I just thought to myself, like, what just happened? 
Like, I literally felt like I had, like, a little bit of an out-of-body experience. I don't know if you got room in your theology for that, but that's what I felt like. And I was like, what just happened? I was, it literally was like I was on some kind of drug. I was like, did I just do that? You know? And, I mean, think about that. And it's a weird story, but think about it your own life. Like when you, when you step into something and, you, and, you're, and you're totally taken back by the success or, or what's been shown to you or given to you and you, you come to the end of it or you come past a certain season and you're like, what just happened? Did I do that? I mean, it's hard to wrap your brain around the reality that is the divinity of Jesus. And the worship and all that he deserves. And not for just a 20-minute ride down Gay Street, but for eternity. You and I can't wrap our brains around that. We can't make sense of eternity. We don't understand. We're so finite in our, in our thinking, in our, our timelines, that we don't know how to put Jesus in his rightful place in eternity in our minds. We can't do it. Verse 7. It says, he, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its, open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so we're beginning to see, we're moving into this, the elders and the living creatures praising God, saying, worthy are you by your blood, like worthy are you, the, the, the lamb that was slain. And we've been ransomed by Jesus. We learned that in this text. And, and, I, and I, need to, I, need to, I need to say this, that ransom was was paid from the wrath of God. Like that's the, the importance of that moment. Right? And his, and his just punishment of sin. Nothing more, nothing less. The full gospel is this. You and I are sinners dead in our sin. That's, the, that's part of the gospel. You and I are sinners and dead in our sin. You could and I could do nothing to extricate ourselves from our earthly dilemma. You cannot pull yourself out of the hole you were in. Do you agree? I hope so. Right? Let me illustrate that for you real quick, just because I think you all agree with me, but I'm going to illustrate it anyway. As a fireman, I was a fireman for about a decade. And as a fireman, I extricated hundreds of humans from wreckage. Right? Like, pull up on a scene, there's an accident. I was on the heavy technical rescue truck. We'd roll up, pull up, everything come out of the truck. We'd, we'd extricate humans uh, from, from these mangled vehicles, metal that was warped and torn, right? Just sheet metal and aluminum and, and steel wrapped, right? Upside down, people bleeding and desperate, right? And you know what they all had in common? They needed a savior. They needed someone to come and rescue them. Our lives are mangled and marred by the fallen nature of ourselves and our sin. And we could do nothing to save ourselves. We could do nothing to extricate ourselves from it because we cannot. We are in desperate need of a Savior. Our situation was, 
If you're a believer, your situation was, if you don't know Jesus, your situation is hopeless. It's hopeless. If you don't know Jesus, it's hopeless. Before I knew Jesus, it was hopeless. I had no hope. But God, look what God does. God himself undertook what he undertook to save us. The same God who had every right to instead punish you and me. The God that left comfort, peace, and serenity. The God that exhaled and brought you life. He leaves all of that to rescue you. And he does so in this way. He does so in this text. And so through the provision of his son's life and death, God the Father sent God the Son to bear the wrath you and I deserve. And that might be a message you're familiar with. I don't know. It might be a message you, you're like, yes, we get it. That's easy. We know that. He goes through all of the creating and knowing and pursuing and crushing. He goes through all of that. And for some odd reason, we think we have the power to climb out of the wreckage and say, look what I did. I saved myself. Do you, do you sometimes believe this? Everybody's like, no. Good students. No, 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 no. We don't believe that. Don't set us up for that. God calls us. He calls you and I. He produces regeneration in us so that we respond with repentance, faith, and obedience. The end. That's it. It's that simple. God calls you, produces regeneration. You respond in repentance and faith and obedience. That is the life of the believer. That is the life of a Christian. This passage continues by, by pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment in the new exodus, redeeming us all from sin, eternal death, and punishment of hell. That's what this is about. Let's finish out these last verses. He says, and, verse 11, says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and on glory and honor and blessings. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessings, honor, and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Don't know about you, but that, that's a cause to fall down and worship. Amen? And so imagine that, Right? Because, because of the way Jesus has laid down his life for you and me, because of what he's done, he is worthy to receive everything. Everything. And here's the weird thing, it's all his anyway. So he's worthy to receive it, but it's all his anyway. From everybody, from everyone, we should delight to praise him. So let me challenge you this morning. Imagine this, just for a moment. Imagine if you and I prayed like this, like, God, if you never answer another prayer for my entire life, I will still praise you. Imagine that. Imagine for a second that's how you prayed. Whatever your prayer life looks like, the things that you ask God for, imagine if you started your prayer with God. If you never answer another prayer for my entire life, I will still exalt you. I will still praise you. Prayer like this is Jesus putting Jesus in his rightful place in your prayer life in the rightful place in your theology of prayer. This is how Nehemiah prays. We're preaching at my church. We're preaching through the book of Nehemiah right now. 
And so you look at Nehemiah's life, and when he goes, when he hears of the destruction of Jerusalem and his people, he immediately fasts and prays for months, like four months, and he prays to God. Guess what? He doesn't pray to God that he would destroy his enemies. He doesn't pray for favor from God. He repents of their wrongdoing. And basically says, God, we don't deserve it. Forgive us. We failed you. This is what we've done. We don't pray like that. I don't pray like that. When something comes at me, I'm like, hey, listen, God, you could help out real quick, right? You could step in here, take care of this. Think about that. Think about how you pray, like how we pray with this. We, we struggle with this. We struggle with our salvation. We struggle with the idea that we're saved. Who in here has questioned that? Don't raise your hand, but you've questioned your salvation, right? We've all done that. Am I really saved? I've asked that question, I don't know how many times, probably thousands upon thousands, honestly. Am I really saved? And here's the problem. We struggle with it because Jesus doesn't stand in the rightful place in our theology. He doesn't stand in the rightful place of our prayer life. He doesn't stand in the rightful place of our worship. It's, it's, it seems like a simple code to break. We know, we know this. I'm going to say this sentence and you're going, you're going to say, well, I, I know that. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus alone holds the power to control the destiny of humanity. You would all agree with that, correct? Nod, because you should. Through those things, that's how he, that's how he overcomes, right? And that's where we struggle. That's where the, the break is, is that Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, holds the power to control the destiny of humanity. You don't. Neither does the POTUS. Neither does any earthly ruler. Neither does your boss or your teacher or professor or whatever. None of that, even if this season is a difficult one for you, you can find confidence in knowing that God is in control. You should be able to find confidence there. That's the mark of a believer. You might be going through the most strenuous, worst, tragic moment in your life. And if you are, I, I apologize and I'd, I'd love to pray with you for that. Oh, sorry, Siri. That's what happens, technology. God is in control of your family, your job, your relationships, your parenting, your singleness, your divorces, disease, death, 401ks. God is in control of all that. God is in control of the government, believe it or not. Believe it or not, God is in control of all this. So when I read Revelation, it helps me imagine the day when death will finally be completely defeated and new life will reign. New life will reign. The bigger picture of Revelation is this. We're blessed beyond our wildest dreams and what Jesus has accomplished for us. We can't, put word, we can't put it into words. Remembering, though, the source of that hope should prioritize your life. It should. Remembering Jesus and his, his power and his control and his might should prioritize him in your life. As adults, most of us take every day for granted. Agreed? Right? Like, think about it. We take, we take most days for granted. But right now, there's a country full of children. Follow me down the rabbit hole. There's a country right now full of children doing all they can to be on their best behavior. Right? 
Why? Why? Why is there a, a, a library full of children in this season right now doing all they can to behave? Because they believe in someone they can't see that's, believing them, that's, that's, that's bringing them all they've ever hoped for and wanted. Right? They believe in that so much that they've altered their life for this short period of time. Some of you are like, can Christmas be all year? I get it. But think about that. They alter what they do. They alter their behavior. They alter their priorities. They get this. And why? For something they've never seen. They believe in something they've never even, they've never even laid their eyes on. What if we were filled with that same wonder and astonishment? Right? What if we had that? The same worship as children on Christmas Eve for our Savior every single day when we climb out of our beds. Right? Think about that. The hardest thing a Christian has to do is believing in something they can't see. That's the hardest thing you'll face as a believer. And it's the hardest question you'll be asked. It's how do you believe in something you've never seen? The passages in this Bible show that Jesus is great in power and mighty to save us from sin, fears, and death. Amen? But the question is, will we worship him as creator and king? Will we do that? When we read a text like this, will it bring us to cry, Abba, Father? Will it bring us to fall on our knees and worship him? We must remember that, that God's love for us compelled him to send his son to live among us and die for us in order to reconcile us. That has to be a reality for us and, and return to reclaim creation completely. But most of us desire to gain financial or social power and dictate God's terms. We try, to, we try to play chess and we try to move things. We try to dictate God's terms. And Jesus shows us that we have victory when we sacrifice and makes us dependent on God's vindication and victory over death. When we place him rightly in our lives. By the way, this is countercultural. Just FYI. They're not going to like you for it. They're not going to like you when you tell them that you serve a king that you can't see. That you serve the God of the Bible. Oh, you mean that cosmic child abuser? You mean that, that God that hates women and children? The God that endorses slavery and racism? That God? That's who you serve? That king? That's the king you follow? And if you don't read this, if you don't have a right understanding, then how will you defend it? How will you know what to say? How will, you, how will you go against that? But the countercultural lie that we bought into that somehow we deal the cards, we print the money, we choose the paint color. This isn't how it works. God is in control of every single situation and he exercises control through unexpected methods. We must trust that God is wise in the way that he rules and he reigns. Will we? Will you? Trust in God and how he rules and he reigns. Even if we don't care for the aroma of a situation, even if a weird-looking lamb appears, can we accept that? Can we move forward with that? Or we say, you know what, God, I don't think I would have chosen a seven-eyed lamb. It's probably a better animal we could have picked. Think about that. Consider how we read stuff like this and how we ingest. Like we must trust and be confident in God's victory that has already taken place in the risen Jesus. 
in the risen Jesus and what will take place in the return of the living Jesus. We must have truth and faith in things we can't see or haven't yet seen. We do this every single day with things that are less value and less important. Think about it. We don't see things. We don't, we, how many of you have seen the President of the United States in real life? Like two people. Most of us haven't, right? Most of us have just seen him on TV or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, correct? Agreed? Yes? We still believe he's real. We still believe he's there. We've never seen him. Never shaken his hand. Never shared a meal with him. Never talked to him. But we somehow believe that he's in control of the country. We believe that he's, he's there. He's, a, he's not a figment of our imagination. We see that. But what about Jesus? Right? What about Jesus? So we're like, well, we got the chosen now. Sure. Sure, I'll give you that. We see someone portray him. We see an actor portray Jesus. But what I don't understand is when we see these, we, when we see individuals like the president portraying and, and, and what we should know that that's just a lacking placeholder for the eternal king. That's something that we desire to chase after and pursue. The early Christians faced immense persecution for this reason, but found solace in God's victory through Jesus. We have to trust that the battles you face, whatever you're facing today, I don't want to go through the laundry list of what you might be facing, but the persecution or the battles that you face, you have to believe that they will not and cannot overcome you. They won't overcome you. Nothing on this planet is forever. Nothing. Not disease, right? Not poverty, nothing. Not sadness, not guilt, not fear. None of that is forever, not even death, right? For us, correct? Yes, good, amen. So, closing out, we're gonna do communion here in a second. I don't, I don't have an antidote for you. I don't have a treatment plan. I don't have a crypto scheme. You laugh, but you wish I would. I don't have any of that. I don't have any supply of meds, right? Our battles will not social distance themselves. They will be right in front of you. You will not be able to isolate from them. You can't tell enough jokes. You can't wear enough makeup, right? You cannot have enough surgeries to change your body type. I could go on and on with the cultural nonsense the world is feeding you. Or what I can offer you is the truth of the gospel, and that is we are victorious in Jesus. Thank you. Victorious in Jesus because he lived, because he died, because he rose, and because he will return. That's, that's the fix. That's the good news. Amen?